Hey everybody and welcome to the Living with Power Hope podcast. Lena Abjemer here and I'm your host. It is good to have you here. It is a new year, a new study, a new you. I hope you're on the same page as me and I hope you're ready to delve into a Bible study that will turn your world upside down. Listen, before I get into the study and what it's all about, let me just welcome you if it's your first time here. I'm glad to have you. And if you've been here before, then you know that we're here every week teaching biblical truth for everyday life. I run a ministry called Living with Power Ministries. I have a full-time job as a physician, and I run a ministry that focuses on providing biblical truth for everyday life and sending hope to the world. So uh, we serve Syrian refugees as well as the Ukrainian refugees and the Lebanese. I am Lebanese, in case you were wondering. That's my last name's origin, but I hail from the Midwest now. Uh, My family base home is Green Bay, Wisconsin. Huge Packer fan here and uh, hope you are too. If you're not, I won't hold it against you. And in the meantime, I live in Chicago. I love the Windy City, uh, except in the winter. But uh, what I love most is teaching God's Word. So I am glad you tuned in. I'm glad you checked us out. And I hope you're telling your friends about it. By the way, did you know you can subscribe to this podcast? That way every week you just get a link whenever we uh, drop a new episode. And we are going to delve into the book of Acts. This is an awesome book in the Bible. Great time of the year to be thinking about the church and Jesus and how he turns everything upside down, which is why I've called this series the Upside Down Series. I'll be breaking up teachings into two weeks per chapter, and we will uh, guide you along every week. In the meantime, sit back, listen up. Don't turn your speed to double speed, because you know what will happen. I think the normal speed or slow speed is another option for those of you who prefer to listen slow. But however you listen, I hope and pray that your hearts are open to the Word of God, that the Holy Spirit is at work in your life, and that you are ready to have your life turned upside down by the power of the gospel. The title of today's uh, teaching is When the Holy Spirit Comes. When the Holy Spirit Comes. And, and we, I've got a lot I want to cover, so I, I really there's no better place than to just get into Acts 2 if you want to go ahead and, and make your way there. And uh, that's the heart's my heart's desire is that the Holy Spirit would come and he would fill us to overflowing and that we would capture that not once, not, not every so often, but again and again and again in our lives. And I know that when you are in these moments where you know that the Holy Spirit is filling you, you, you just you want to be nowhere else. And I believe that's why worship is, we love to worship. We are, we are a church that loves to worship. And I believe part of that is that, is that for a moment you block everything out and you just can focus on the Lord Jesus Christ himself and what he's done for us on the cross and get some perspective. I came across a story this week and I, I really appreciated it. There's a man who at the turn of the century wanted to immigrate to the United States. He didn't have a whole lot of money. So it says that in the illustration that he um, sold almost everything he had, bought a ticket to go uh, to the United States. Well, he didn't have that much money left, so he thought, well, I need some food on the boat. So he garnered, you know, got, kind of got himself some crackers and some cheese and, uh, and, and got it on the boat. And so every day on the boat, he would get in his little corner and eat the cheese and crackers and kind of save up for the next day. And, and every day on the boat, everybody else on the boat would be going into the... A great dining area and they would be eating the lobster and the filet and, and every the salads for you vegetarians you know everything that it would smell so great and so by day six he couldn't take it anymore he was like I just got to do something here so he goes and finds the captain of the ship and he says captain I'll do anything I'll clean the toilets I'll I'll, I'll do the dishes I'll, I'll do anything just allow me one meal at the table and the captain looked at him and says but don't you have a, a ticket on the boat all the way to the United States? He says, yeah, because, well, didn't you know the meals are included? 
And, and I find so often in our Christian life that we get in the zone where, where we sit in our little corner with cheese and crackers when God has so much more for us. And we're just like, if I could just get a little bit of that. And, and God's like, well, it's all part of the deal. He's given us the spirit and he's given him in abundance. And, and so many of us, I think, fail to understand that fully. And in Acts 2, we see that, like no other place in Scripture, where the church is birthed. And of course, we see a tremendous outpouring of the Spirit of God. And uh, I read this about the, the, the chapter 2. I love it. It's a transitional passage. It is a passage where you go from Acts 1, remember where the disciples were waiting for the coming of the Spirit. And now in Acts 2, the Holy Spirit has come. And, and you go also from a transition where uh, they were anticipating that a church would be born in Acts 1. And of course, in Acts 2, a church is born. In Acts 1, the disciples were equipped. In Acts 2, they were empowered. In Acts 1, the believers were held back. They were told, don't go. Well, in Acts 2, they're like, go, go. This is the time to just go and spread the word and start the church. It is such a time of transition. And it is really the time when we, uh, it would be the, the, the outcome of that birth of the church. We're going to get there in a little bit. Write this down. The first thought for tonight is this. The Holy Spirit comes just as he promised. I want to start by reading just a couple of verses. We're going to spend a, long, a little bit more of our time in the beginning of the chapter, and then we'll um, make our way through. We're not going to spend too much time in Peter's sermon, and then we'll wrap up at the end. So I've got five points for you today, and the first is this. The Holy Spirit comes just as he promised. It says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And remember that the promise of the Spirit, we went over that last week, remember, where in verse uh, 7 and 8, Jesus says to the disciples, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come. So he had promised the coming of the Spirit. But remember, that wasn't the first time that Jesus spoke about the coming of the Spirit. Go back a few pages in your Bible to John chapter 16. In verse 7, Jesus was giving a long talk to the disciples there. It starts all the way back in chapter 14. And so much is said about the Holy Spirit, but I like this verse in, in chapter 16, verse 7. It says, Jesus tells his disciples, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Of course, at that time, Jesus is saying to his disciples who have no idea what he's talking about. Do you ever have that happen in your life where Jesus, you know, you hear something, you read something in scripture, you have no idea what he's saying. Well, well they're about to find out. And a little bit later, too, you see it again in verse 13 of John 16. Where he says, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. I love that, that God is a promise keeper. He promises us, and it comes to pass. That's one of the favorite aspects of the Lord to me, that you can stand on the promises and know that they will happen. Now you say, why did it happen then? You know, it happened on the day of Pentecost. And, and, and I think the tendency is to think, well, it happened on the day of Pentecost because the disciples were praying for it, right? I mean, you pray for something after a few days. How many of you, 10 days into your prayer life, everything's good? You're answered. Uh, not happening in my life. I'm, I'm on the Abraham program. You know what I'm talking about? And so, and so here you, you find out 10 days later that the answer is given. And of course, I think the disciples' lives are really fast-forwarded because it wouldn't take, they really had a lot to do. They had to get the church started and growing throughout the whole world, and they didn't have that many years to live. They would be killed very shortly. And so they're on this fast-forward program that I think most of us would be like, you know what, that's great for them. I, I don't really want it to end that way necessarily in my life, so that's okay. I'll wait a few years longer. But, but I think there's a significant element to, and I, I, that was honestly one of the most fascinating things. We're going to take a little bit of time to go over the timing of the coming of the Spirit because I found it just so fascinating in my own study. But I want to kind of back up a little and talk about the two other critical events that happened. Of course, one was Passover. 
Remember, Passover was very relevant. What happened at Passover back in, in uh, the day uh, of the people of Israel when they were in Egypt? Remember, we're going all the way back to Exodus now. So they were stuck in Egypt and they cried out to the Lord. And then the Lord, of course, was going to deliver them. And, and several plagues happened. And the very last plague was going to be the worst of it, where, where the firstborn was going to be killed of every family in Egypt. And, and the people of Israel were to be spared, but there was a condition. What was the condition? They had to kill an unblemished lamb. Remember that? And then they had to put the blood on the post of the door and the angel of the Lord passed over that night and anybody who had the blood on the door was spared. And that's how, that was the sign. That was their, their, their statement of faith that they believed that the Lord was saving them by the shedding of the blood of the lamb in that case. And of course, when did that get completed, the prophecy completed in Jesus Christ at the cross where Jesus, the perfect lamb, was shed for our salvation and those of us who have accepted the shedding of his blood for our sins are spared. It's a beautiful picture. Write this down. The so the Passover was one big direct picture of the work of Christ. Another big picture is the feast of the first fruits. Remember, we're talking about promises being fulfilled. And, and, and I want you to see how in Scripture, God fulfills every promise he, has, he ever made. There's not one word that is given to us that doesn't come to fruition in our life. If the Lord gave it to you, it's going to happen. If it's in the Word, it's going to happen. So here's the second feast of significance. It's called the Feast of the First Fruits. And so what would happen is on the next day after the Sabbath, after the Passover, so that was Sunday right after Passover, so it would be Resurrection Sunday. That's what we would know it as, right? So what would happen in that feast is that you would go out and gather the barley first fruits. I like barley. Anyone else? What would happen is the farmer would go out and, and they would go out early on and, and they would, what, what they would do with the first fruit is they would want to determine if there was a good crop or a bad crop. And so they would just gather a few from every kind of portion of the field. Now, I know this is stretching some of you because I don't think any of us have ever even been to a farm except that little lambs one up north, but I don't think that counts. I don't know if they even know what barley is up there. They're up in Wisconsin after all. But anyway, the, the farmer would go out and gather this, this bit of crop, and he would decide based on this first fruit whether the crop was going to be a good one or not. Now, this is a very accurate picture of the resurrection of Christ because Jesus is the perfect fulfillment of the first fruits. So much so that, that in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul says that about Christ. He says that Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. So, it says this, so I, I read this, and I, I really don't want you to miss it, so I'm going to read it. It says, this picture of the first fruits symbolizes that because Christ's resurrection was valid and good, ours will be too. He is the first fruit of our resurrection because his is valid, ours will be too. Because he lives, we will live also. The first fruits was a picture of the resurrection of Christ that guarantees that our resurrection will occur. I love that. Now we're getting to Pentecost. Remember, we're talking about Pentecost here. Why did the Holy Spirit come then? Why was it 10 days after? Well, there's a reason. And it goes all the way to Leviticus 23, jot down verses 15 and 16. We're not going to go there right now, but just jot down Leviticus 23, verses 15 and 16. So the Feast of Harvest, in fact, that was 50 days after the Feast of First Fruit. That's when they would celebrate a feast called, called the Feast of Wheat Harvest. Or the Feast of Harvest was another name for it. It was a, the day of Pentecost. And everybody would come from all over the world to Jerusalem for that feast. It was a big deal. But again, it was the first fruit, the Feast of Harvest, 50 days later after um, the Feast of First Fruits. Because what would happen then, now it wasn't barley that the farmer would look at, but it was the wheat crop. So he would get out to the farm and do the same thing, gather the wheat and kind of just, just early on, they're trying to decide, is this a good crop or a bad crop? So they would just get a little bit of this first fruit. And rather than getting it in a sheave like they would have done with the barley, in this situation, 
they would gather it and make two loaves. Specifically in Leviticus, you see that they would bake two loaves with the sweet. And this predicts what happened on Pentecost, because Pentecost is another first fruit of the wheat harvest, okay? Now, someday, the Lord is going to harvest us believers in the great coming of Christ, and he's going to separate, remember, the wheat from the tares. So what's your guarantee that you're going to be in the harvest? You've got two guarantees, right? We've got the guarantee of Jesus Christ's resurrection. That's the feast of first fruits. But then you've got the second guarantee, which is the Holy Spirit. Now, jot these two verses down. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 5. And Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. The Ephesians passage is amazing. And it talks about how the Holy Spirit is given to the believers as a guarantee of our inheritance. Those very words are used in Ephesians 1, verses 11 through 14. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 5. Paul refers to it, and of course, Ephesians 1, 11 through 14. And we're told that we're given a second guarantee, the Spirit. So we have the earnest of the Spirit. You've heard that expression. You have the earnest of the Spirit. Well, earnest, some of you won't understand that expression very much. It's like an engagement ring. Earnest is a pledge. The Spirit of God within us is the guarantee of our final inheritance. So at this Pentecost... The Spirit came and dwelled in us, fulfilling the type of the first fruits feast. Now, there's a little bit more significance too. I just want to bring one more element of, the, of this perfect picture that is given to us. The church, of course, now remember we said, you don't just get, he, the, the wheat wasn't just gathered as a sheaf, it was baked into two loaves. And, and in order to bake bread, again, some of you back there may not know, but you have to put yeast in the loaves, right? And so what a great picture of the church. Now remember with the barley, there, there was no yeast, it's a perfect picture of Christ who is sinless, spotless. But now, in this picture of the church, there's two loaves being baked. There's yeast that takes part in it. So, so there is sin in the church, and yet we're still unified together in, a, in, a, in what looks like a loaf. That's pretty crazy. You say, why did the Holy Spirit come at the Feast of Pentecost or the Feast of Harvest Wheat? It's a picture-perfect symbol that God puts there to remind us that nothing happens by accident. It is a picture of God's sovereignty. Do you see it? Do you see that all the way back in Leviticus, certain things happened. The people of Israel were told to worship a certain way. They were told to, to do certain things. And everything was predicting the coming of Jesus Christ. So that there would be no surprises that anybody who would study the Old and New Testament would understand perfectly what was happening. I love that. I love it when I consider my life and the things that, that happen. And sometimes you just think they don't show any sense. Do you guys ever think that about your life? And, and what an assurance when you see something like this to understand that, that there are no accidents with the Lord, that everything comes back and fits together, that there is nothing wasted in your life, that God digs back into those areas that you think, well, that doesn't even make any sense. Why would God allow that? Well, because someday down the road, he's going to use it. It's pretty crazy. If you're not encouraged by that, I'm telling you, I've been living on that all week. It's, it's enough for me. I think about the Pentecost now and I think, oh my goodness, God is the perfect illustrator of that which is right. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit coming just as God promised according to his sovereign timetable. By the way, what a relief that it's not reliant on our prayers per se. I mean, he wants us to pray. But it wasn't like, oh, the Holy Spirit came because the 11 disciples got together and prayed and there was unity among them. If you have perfect unity, the Holy Spirit would come. If you don't, sorry, he's not going to come. It's not even about that. Do you understand that? That's such a relief for me. If you've been to prayer meetings and you're like, I wish my prayers were just a little bit better. Maybe the Holy Spirit would come if I could just pray a little bit better. But it had nothing to do with the disciples per se. There was a bigger picture going on. You say, well, why did the disciples pray then? 
Honestly, I think they missed the Lord, and they knew that that was the way that they kept relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. They had just seen him ascend into heaven, and they're not the sharpest folks around, but they remembered that all Jesus did to communicate with his father again and again was what? He would go out on a mountain and pray. And so it occurred to them that maybe if they got together and pray, maybe that that would bind them closer to their Savior. I honestly believe that's why they got together and prayed. I don't think they pictured for a minute what would happen in Acts 2. I love those reassurances that God gives us. Now, I want to kind of comment about one other thing. A lot of you probably read this and say, well, you know what, I, I wish, and, and I know you guys have spent the whole week in Acts 2, and so you know what's coming. And, and, and in fact, let's read a couple more verses. It says in verse 2, And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them as they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Let me write this second thought down. When the Holy Spirit comes, it will be obvious. Now, I want to talk a little bit about um, baptism with the Spirit versus filling with the Spirit. And, and I, I like what Piper says about that. I have a lot of notes today, and I, I, I know always do, but I, I just really want you guys to understand some of the stuff. I like what Piper says about this. He says when he thinks of this promise of being baptized, is it that we're baptized? He says, question mark. Is it that we're filled? Is it that we're empowered? Is it that we're indwelt? Have you guys heard these words used interchangeably? And so you're kind of like scratching your head as a believer going, well, what is it? Am I supposed to be baptized, filled, empowered? What is it? I mean, what am I supposed to do? I, I, all I know is what he says. He says, the longer I meditate on those alternatives, alternatives, the less I see reasons to choose. If you truly repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit will be given to you and you, he will make a difference in your life. Okay, I love that. Now, I will tell you this, that when you come, it was that something special happened at Pentecost. This was the first coming of the Holy Spirit. And so this coming of the mighty rushing wind and the fire over every head. So let's talk about the wind for a second. It was very powerful. In fact, the uh, word for, for the wind there is, uh, write this down, P-N-O-E-S. Uh, or you've heard the word also, um, uh, pneumo or pnos, P-N-O-E-S. And uh, those of you who feel like they have pneumonia all the time, pneumo, get it? The breathing, the lungs, you know? I had to sneak in a little medical tidbit for you today. But, but I like this, this, this definition of P-N-O-E-S, pnos. It's blast of breath. It's not even just, just like, it's not like a, it's like a, we see so many hurricanes lately. And it's just like it's a powerful wind, you know, like just comes and takes you suddenly by surprise. You say, well, you know, I've never seen that as a Christian. Well, you, you're probably not gonna. This, was a, this is probably a one-time event. Now, could the Holy Spirit come and surprise us with a big wind right now? Absolutely. But there was something going on here, and he was filling the room. And remember, this was the coming of the Holy Spirit to fill the church. So he was filling the building, which is the picture of the church. But then something else happened. The fire came over every head of a believer because it wasn't just that the Holy Spirit filled the church as a whole, but really the message was that the Holy Spirit was going to baptize individual believers so that everybody who knew the Lord Jesus Christ, by the way, that's the, that, those are the people who get the Holy Spirit, is when you accept him as your Savior and you come, you're adopted into his family. So the fire is a symbol of the Holy Spirit come in to indwell you as a believer. So that what happens since Pentecost is that at the moment of salvation, positionally, you are in the family of God, you are in Christ. And so Paul writes 1 Corinthians 12, 13. That's a very critical reference for you. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 says this, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. All right. Now there's another key verse. 
I want you to write Romans 8. In fact, all of Romans 8 is, is I th- will teach you a lot about the Holy Spirit if you want to go home and, and, and just learn a little bit more about him. But write Romans 8, verse 9. It says this, you, however, he's talking to believers, remember? Uh, Paul's talking to the church, uh, to, to believers in, in Romans 8. And he says, you, however, are not in the flesh but in the spirit, if, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So if you belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of God living in you. Every one of you here today who says, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I don't believe I can do it on my own. I need the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. He's died for me. You have the Holy Spirit living in you. Period. You say, well, I don't feel it. Well, that's a completely different thing. In fact, even in Acts 2, you see this, I think. uh, Watch it back in Acts 2. So in verse 2, suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then in verse 4, it says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And after they were filled, you get on to, uh, pretty shortly, the, the tongues. And of course, then the greatest message, the first message that was preached in a, in a church. But when the Holy Spirit comes, it will be obvious, though, though we may not see wind or fire or tongues, and I want to talk about the tongues in just a second, but though we may not always see the exact manifestations that happened in the Acts 2 experience, we will see other obvious signs of the Holy Spirit, won't we? I started thinking about some of the signs of the Spirit, you know, and, and there's so many. You can think about the joy and the fellowship and the unity and the love that Christians ought to have. They say, well, I don't always have it. Well, this is now where we can talk about the filling of the Spirit. Because, see, a lot of times we're baptized with the Spirit, but we, we, we kind of forget that, we are made, that the Spirit of God is living in us. I don't know about you, I forget it at times. And I have to remind myself every morning, and I'm telling you, like, as I'm studying the book of Acts, I'm remembering more that, that not only is the Holy Spirit just this kind of unknown entity that I hope He comes sometime because occasionally it feels really good when He comes. Well, it's not a feeling that we're seeking. But we're seeking the very presence of God in our life. Ephesians 5, uh, so many of you know that verse, Ephesians 5, 18, uh, talks about, and you've, the verse will be familiar with, to you, it talks about, don't be drunk with wine, but what? But be filled with the Spirit. And so what Paul is getting at there, and I grew up kind of in circles where we thought, oh, that's a verse about not drinking. So, you know, our, our youth group director would be like, remember Ephesians 5, 18? And we, they missed the whole point. The verse has nothing to do with wine. It has everything to do with the Holy Spirit indwelling us and filling us. And, and what that's talking about there is, is, I don't know how many of you have faced some drunks in your life, but I face them every Friday night when I'm in the ER. They come all the time. In fact, yesterday was a Monday, and I had a drunk teenager at like four in the afternoon. And, and listen, I can tell you enough from seeing the drunks that, that they have no control over what comes out of their mouth. And, and they really have no control over what they do. And, and, and you say, well, well, we don't want that. Well, yes, you do when it's God who's controlling you. When it's the Holy Spirit in you who's controlling you. And that's what he's getting at. Is that is, is the goal isn't to be, when you're drunk, it just kind of comes out. And so when you're filled with the Spirit, the Spirit in you kind of overflows. And so when pressure comes in your life, so when you pick up the phone and talk to the customer service representative who doesn't do what you want him to do, rather than anger being the overflowing emotion, love is the overflowing emotion. So when you come home and the kids haven't done what you want them to do, rather than impatience and loss of self-control that comes out and you start ranting and raving about why the dishes aren't done or why the dog hasn't been taken out, whatever it is that you guys have for chores, instead you have a peace that surpasses all understanding. See, the Holy Spirit in your life will be obvious. You all have met people. Heard uh, Last Friday I was uh, at a small group meeting and, and I heard about a woman who 
goes to our church, not this campus, but her son, a few years ago, became uh, paraplegic in a diving accident while he was on a mission trip. And so he comes home, they have to deal with that. Shortly thereafter, the husband leaves the family. Shortly thereafter, they go through more and more financial, I can't even imagine the, the financial difficulty that arises from having a son go through a medical crisis like that, but, but now they're going through foreclosure. So she's, she's now like a single mom with a son who's handicapped, going through foreclosure, and you think to yourself, like, are you kidding me? And, and the only thing that, that this common friend says to me is, she has the joy of the Lord on her. And, and you're like, wait, wait, I'm missing it. Like, I barely have, like, I mean, my stress is like, like you know, the washer doesn't run fast enough. The, you know, the guy in front of me at Starbucks is getting on my ear. I mean, I have no stresses in my life. And, and, and at, the, at, the, at the smallest push, ever been pushed? You're staying in line somewhere and someone bumps you and you're like, ah! You know what I'm talking about? What is the overflow of your heart? That's being filled in the Spirit. It's when the Holy Spirit controls you, what comes out. This woman uh, with that story that's, that just blows your mind. I mean, she's a real human. She comes to our church. I'm not making this stuff up. And, and she, she says she comes home from work. She has to work, obviously. Comes home from work and sits in the presence of the Lord. And just is like in awe and in thanks over what he's doing in her life. That is a woman who understands being filled with the Spirit. That is a woman who is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And by the way, that is something that every one of us ought to be doing in our life. As we wake up day after day and face those things in our life that God gives us. You know, uh, yesterday I got in a conversation on my blog about does God give us more than we can handle or not? And, and some people think he doesn't and some people think he does. Listen, you'll never feel like it's more than you can handle if the Holy Spirit is in control. And, and I, I, I just, I, I'm so convicted by that. I don't know about you. You know, sometimes it's not always immediately obvious. I think that's the difficulty for the Christian, isn't it? it you know, it's like, it's, it, it's easy when you're in a Pentecost situation where you, you get up and all of a sudden all this crazy stuff has happened and everyone's like, you know, this is crazy. Then in a moment we'll see 3,000 people get saved. Like, that's incredible. But, but most of us, our lives aren't like that. We trudge in day after day after day, living our life, you know, doing the obedience thing, reading my Bible, coming to church, talking to my neighbor about the Lord, and, and you're like, I'm trying, but I just, it's not obvious to me what the Holy Spirit's doing in my life. You guys know what I'm talking about? And I'm telling you, today, just today, the Lord, in the hour before I came to class, the Lord gave me such a powerful example of how wrong we think and how impatient we are and how lacking in faith we are when it comes to the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Well, that's our teaching for today, and I'm so glad you checked in, and I pray that God is at work in your life, even as you conclude this time in the Word. Hey, I can't wait to be back with you next week. In the meantime, know that you can download our app. It's called the Living with Power app, where you can access all teachings and resources at your fingertip. You can also spend some time on our website. It's the livingwithpower.org website, where you can also find out about our global work. Uh, we have a store that you can buy more resources on or download free studies. Hey, are you following me on Instagram? I show up daily trying to provide encouragement to you and a little tidbit of God's word in a world of social media. And if you are here for the first time, again, welcome. Thanks for being here. And if you've been here before, please come back again and subscribe to this podcast. But more importantly, just know that God loves you. He's for you. And I can't wait to be back with you next week.